Blog Talk Radio. joining us. I'm Marcia Joyner, host of Betrayed by Hospice, brought to you in coordination with Marcel Reed and the Whistleblower Summit and our producer, Marty Oakley. This program provides victims' family an open forum to share their loved one's story and premature death under the guise of compassionate care, as well as having professional guests on who can offer their expertise. My goal is to reach people before they become victims of these crimes So that is why we have a responsibility to tell our stories and warn unsuspecting people about the dangers of trusting without verifying. Initially, when hospice was created in 1967, it was to provide medication to minimize pain for the actively dying and for those who could no longer be treated for their illness. It was never meant to give toxic drugs one-size-fits-all to unsuspecting people put them into a coma, and hasten their death with drugs, starvation, and dehydration, which is euthanasia or premeditated murder under the guise of compassionate care. Hospices following the original intention are good, and some may still exist, but most are using this as an acceptable way to eliminate the elderly and disabled, and now COVID patients. When we're in the middle of a stressful situation, we can't think straight because we're afraid, exhausted, or both, and we become easy prey for the medical professionals and hospice. This year, I'd like to focus on specific topics during each program so that you can become familiar with the terminology, the drugs used, the lies you were told to keep you in line with their plan. Always remember, knowledge is power and you just may have to fight to save someone's life. So don't be caught disarmed without the knowledge. And if you're not prepared to fight, then make sure someone else is with you and they're armed with the knowledge and they can fight for you. Everyone needs an advocate. Before I introduce our guest tonight, Lisa Blake, our opening topic is in the beginning before hospice comes in and takes over. So just what are hospice qualifications for enrollment? Originally, we all heard people qualified because they had a disease that couldn't be treated with medication or a procedure um, for kidney disease, dialysis, or they had end-stage cancer, and they were actually dying. But today, the criteria has been watered down to add more people. And since I believe in practicing what I preach, don't just take my word for it. There's a website called Vitas, V-I-T-A-S dot com, which is where some of the information I'm sharing with you tonight came from. But interestingly, it was under a tab marked for healthcare physicians. 
which is not where average people would look for it. Why isn't it in the general public information? Because they don't want you to know, they don't want you to think about it, and if you see it, you're going to start thinking about it and question. So here's for the qualifications. And please remember as I read these, you don't have to qualify for all of them. So the qualifications are a patient has a decreasing functional status by either a palliative performance scale rating of equal or less than 60%, and they have some form of a disease. So I did a little bit of research further to see just what does that mean, and I found a chart that goes and it estimates the median days the patient will live if treated with palliative care or with hospice care. doesn't say anything how long they'll live if they continue their medication or their procedures and they don't enroll. So for someone who has 60%, it means they have reduced ambulation, they can't do housework or hobbies, and they need occasional assistance. The estimated median survival is 29 days if they put them on palliative care, four days for hospice. Now, remember, this is somebody who might be able to be treated with medication. At 50%, they mainly sit or lie. They can't do housework. They need considerable assistance. Their estimated survival under palliative, 30 days. Under hospice, 11 days which that number didn't make sense to me because supposedly they were in worse shape, but they're actually going to live longer. At 40%, they mainly stay in bed. They needed a lot of assistance. 18 days before death in palliative, eight with hospice. 30%, they're bed-bound. Total care required, required, eight days palliative, five in hospice, and it goes on down to zero. Or the second qualification, the patient is dependent in two or three of six activities of daily living, which are the person needs help bathing, dressing, eating, transferring, walking, or they're incontinent, they qualify. They don't have to meet all of these, just two of them. Or the patient has an alteration in nutritional status, meaning that they have lost 10% of their body weight over the last four to six months. Previously, I had heard failure to survive was listed, but it is no longer a term they use. Or the patient has an observable and documented deterioration in the past four to six months by one of the following. Three or more hospitalizations or emergency visits, decreased tolerance to physical activity, shortness of breath with minimal exertion, or decrease in cognitive ability. So if you go to the hospital three or more times or you don't participate in the activities you used to or you get confused or you need help dressing or eating or going to the bathroom or maybe you just have a UTI that could exhibit, ex exhibit a lot of these symptoms, I venture to say some of us might qualify on any given day. And lastly, what we always believed for years that qualifies someone is a comorbid condition which they have added to that list. It now is for cancer, heart disease, kidney disease, lung disease, sepsis, liver disease, and dementia. And remember, some of these can still be treated with medications or processes. 
my mom had congestive heart failure that was being successfully treated, and she wasn't actively dying when they started drugging her without consent or knowledge, and they killed her. The documentation that I just talked about goes into more detail, but I just wanted to touch the high-level points. And over and over at this website, I kept seeing refer hospice-eligible patients sooner. And if you recall, in the above chart, it gives the median days till death for palliative care and hospice care. So wouldn't enrolling them sooner mean a more hastened death? That's what I think. Personally, for me, I'm going to avoid hospice, period. So these are the qualifications for enrollment. But how are you introduced to hospice, and how do they take over? That's a question for our next program when we will focus on these aspects and others. I'd like to give you a couple of excellent resources. A former hospice respiratory therapist, Michelle Young-Dewers, takes us behind the closed doors of hospice and shows us what happens on the other side in her book, Killing for Profit, The Dark Side of Hospice. Michelle chose humanity over hospice lies, deceit, and promises made, but never kept. Michelle will be our guest speaker on February the 9th, so you may want to look into this book so you have questions ready. Another resource is halovoice.org, which has an excellent fact sheet on questions to ask a hospice before admission, operative word, before. And remember I mentioned above that everybody needs an advocate that will fight for them. HALO has a free sample life-affirming medical proxy document that you can use to protect you or your loved one. You want to have this in place before you are in a situation where you can't respond for yourself. They have a helpline, 888-221-4256, that you can call with questions. And if you're familiar with the issues that I'm talking about this evening or in previous evenings and you'd like to help them, they are always looking for volunteers to answer that phone. Knowledge is power. You owe it to yourself and your loved one to research before your loved one takes an immediate turn for the worse, when just the day before they were sitting up, eating, talking, and asking for an appointment for a manicure, as you will hear tonight from Lisa. Lisa Blake is our guest speaker tonight, and she lost her mom, Julia Blake, on Christmas Day, December the 25th, 2020, in Tampa, Florida. Now, any time we lose a loved one is terrible, but on Christmas Day is beyond horrific. Julie Blake was not actively dying and was being successfully treated for congestive heart failure, but that didn't matter. Julie clearly was ready to continue her life when all of those rights were ripped away from her. Lisa, I'd like to turn the program over to you so you can tell us about your precious mom and what happened to her in spite of your attempts to get her out of their clutches. Lisa, if you will unmute. Lisa? Okay. Um, Marty, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. 
Um, not not sure why she's Lisa live. is she, yeah she's is. showing live so I don't know what what okay. the problem is. Lisa, if you can unmute, we will move forward with your mom's story. This is weird. I'll give her a second. I know. I'm sending her a <laughs> yeah. text to see what's going okay. on. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, Lisa, unmute. I will start talking a little bit about your mom. Um, Lisa's mom was 89. Okay. She says she's unmuted. Okay. She may have to call back in. Sometimes we run into this. Okay. Lisa, would you hang up and call right back in, please? She's up. Okay, we'll wait a minute till she comes on. Uh, Marsha, with all that's going on, and especially after the Brittany Cares case and the um, the movie I Care a Lot, uh, you know, so much has come out about this whole. Here she comes. Hang on here. Let's see if we got her now. Okay. Hang on. Can you hear me? I'm trying to live her up. There, we there you go. We can hear you. Okay, Lisa. You can hear me? Okay. <laughs> we can hear. Remember me telling yeah, you sometimes we have technical difficulties. Yes, yes. And I'm not, okay. I believe that it's purposely done, I'm sure. But, um, yes, um, so I heard it. I heard you, though, when you couldn't hear okay. me. Okay, um, so I'll let you start in and, you know, talk to us about, you know, how did all this start? Um I guess if you went back to 2016 when she was diagnosed with congestive heart failure and successfully being treated. Yeah, well, actually in 2016 she was at the hospital that killed her and um, I figured out that what they did with seniors because I had to fight um, to... They were pushing a DNR on her, and if it wasn't for a resident that is now in Texas named Sean Hutchinson, he was not on the program that Tampa General's on um, with uh, euthanizing seniors, and he fought with me, and she was fine, and that's when I started searching for cardiologists all over the state of Florida to find the best that I knew would take care of her, and we did, and I vowed never to go back to Tampa General because um, I had heard from others that 65-plus, they throw a DNR at you. It's, they're kind of on the, uh, I don't know if I should say it, Obamacare plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're, on, they're in line with Obamacare and what they wanted to do with death panels. They've been doing it for a long time, and I've heard that from um, surgeons that actually have to attend there, but that aren't really out of the set. I have to go there sometime and um, heard it from them themselves. So, um, but this particular day, December 5th in 2020, um, I was overprotective of my mom and I was always making sure she was okay, but I can't see at night very well. And the hospital, the good hospital, Morton Plant, is about 35 minutes away. Um, that's where her, physician, her cardiologist is, the good one. Um, a good group of cardiologists that don't kill elders, um, and I kept telling her that day, are you sure you're okay? Because I could always tell if something was wrong, and um, 
because I said, I've got to take you to the morning plant before it gets dark if you're not okay. And then um, that evening, she seemed okay. We were watching TV, but she said she was thirsty. And I always checked her uh, oxygen and her heart rate and everything, and I checked it, and it was a little bit high, um, but not that high for her baseline. And um, so I called Home Health. It was a different home health company. And I, I did take care of her full-time and work full-time. So um, when I called Home Health, she said, well, call EMS because um, they can do an EKG. Um, and, you know, that's... And I didn't think at the time because her old health care company would usually call the cardiologist first. But I was anxious because I was already anxious now that I thought she might not feel that great. And um, I wasn't thinking and I called EMS. But they came and they did an EKG and they said, it looks fine, but just to be safe, can we take you to Tampa General? Because it's 0.5 miles from our home. And she's like, I'm not going there. And she's like having a fit. And I'm like, Mom, you can't make me nervous. But I said to the um, EMS guy, I said, can I come in though? And he goes, oh, well, don't, they're probably going to let you go right away because your EKG is fine. So, and he said, yeah, you can go in. One person can go in. So I said, Mom, just go. And, but, you know, I can come in. He, he's like, yeah, they're, they're going to let you go. Just, I just want to be sure. So I followed them there. Of course, they wouldn't let me in. So I went to the parking um, garage, and I was sitting in my car, and I called, and I said, EMS said I could come in. And um, she's like, well, you can't. She was kind of nasty. And, and um, I said, well, I'm going to wait. And she's like, uh, I wouldn't wait. It would be, It's going to be a while. I said, well, okay, fine. I live around the corner. So I went home. And then I called back, and they said I could come in. And um, she had a UTI, and I didn't think of it till later. You're dehydrated when you have a UTI, and your heart rate goes up when you're dehydrated. But these um, emergency room physicians said her BNP is a little bit high, and that's what measures your congestive heart failure. And it was like 1,100, which wasn't terrible. Like it's been that before where I could just give her an extra uh, quarter of her diuretic and there's no need to for diuresis like on an IV um, but he said well we're just going to treat you and since you're being teased a little high you know we're going to keep you here and I'm like oh god you know I'm like, so I said I went over all the her meds because I'm anal about that and I know they make a lot of mistakes there and so I went home smelled like 4 in the morning and we were visiting hours were 11.30 so I got there at 11.30 she did have a good nurse that day, and I was talking to her a little bit about what um, went on there before in 2016, and I said there was only one doctor that I liked and, um, and the resident, and I promised she'd never come back. Oh, let me step back. As soon as I walked in the room, she goes, get me the F out of this place. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> she said, It's terrible. She's like, I promise I will listen to you next time because when she said the F word, she wasn't holding back. I said, Mom, well, it's okay. You're, you're okay. I'll, you know, and that nurse was great. So he's like, yeah, they just want to. And she goes, let me go over the meds again just in case. 
because she knew she knew my concern. She was probably the best nurse that was there for her whole 25-day stay or 20-day stay. And um, so I felt kind of comfortable, and they actually allowed me to stay because she was in a, a private room because it was in NICU. Um, so I went home. I was the next day. You can't come in again until 11.30. I'm working, and I called her um, nurse that day, and it was a guy, Mike, and he said, yeah, well, she's on her BiPAP because she was resting. Oh, they asked me to bring her BiPAP from home. And I said, well, let me tell you about it because it's, the oxygen goes through the actual um, device, but for some reason it, it doesn't work that well on her. And we've tried everything. The respiratory people tried everything. So you have to keep her nasal cannula in her nose and then just put the BiPAP over it when she sleeps. And, but um, they ask you to bring in her BiPAP. You're in a hospital. Yeah. And they yeah. ask you to bring in her BiPAP. Yeah. Mhm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And it and with the issues that we had with that the, the um, whatever not the oxygen not going through enough, they never calibrated it right. I guess. And I know one time the I kept calling the home health company. And at one point, they said, oh, she probably needs to come in the hospital so we could watch it. And when I told her cardiologist, he goes, are you kidding me? <laughs> no, she doesn't need to go into the hospital. Like, it was during COVID, too, because this was, like, 2020, obviously. And, um, but, yeah, they asked me to, yeah, so they asked me to bring it in, and I said, and I said, well, that's good, because then I thought back to when the, the device company said, to go to the hospital. I said, well, you know, they had mentioned that since she's here, you guys look at it and make sure that it's working properly, it's calibrated right. So I thought that was a good thing. Um, but I knew why she was resting because she would sometimes meditate with it on and she wanted to get the hell out of there. So Mike, I said, what's her oxygen at? And he tells me, and um, I, I can't remember. He was, oh, it was over 96 and it's not supposed to be. And so I had to tell him that. Um, I don't think that was an accident either because every nurse had her standing at 100, um, as you'll hear. Um, so I get there at about 3, and um, I walk in, and she's like, looks at me with this look because she was pissed. She wanted to get out of there. <laughs> she was like, in the, and I looked at her BiPAP, and I was like, um, this is not supposed to be over a ninety over a fifty percent leak rate. It's at ninety percent. And he goes, Oh, is that what it is? I didn't know that. He didn't mix you and he didn't know that. Wow. So then I got nervous and I said, Okay. I said, Oh shit. Not because now I'm like, okay, this isn't good. So I said, by the way, what meds did she take today? And I made him repeat them. He left out two of the most important meds that she took. And I said, no, no, no. I said, where's the metoprolol? Where's the Bumex? And he said, well, the metoprolol, her um, her uh, blood pressure was too low. And I said, what was it? I said, no. I said, Dr. Sprague, her cardiologist, I said, that's why I want the doctors to call me or you guys call me. I know how low is low. It's, it's got to be like 90 over 40 before he stops that. He will adjust it. It's been adjusted from... 12 milligrams once a day to 50 milligrams. And in every 
variation in between. She, I made sure she did her, her blood pressure and all of her vitals every morning and weigh herself because two pounds in a day or five pounds in a week meant, you know, that she was getting fluid overload. Um, so I knew exactly. And But these clowns didn't call me and, you know, consult with me, even though I told them this the, the night she was in emergency. And I said, and Bumex? I said, she can't be off Bumex. I said, are you crazy? I said, that's a diuretic. Um, so he goes, hold on, I'll be back. And he comes back and he says, the doctor said to start the Bumex and metoprolol tonight. I'm like, oh, great. Because I don't have any medical training, but I'm at this hospital telling people what to give my mom and why. That was scary. Well, because well, like, you know what she's... <laughs> Right. Yeah, because you but know not, what she's been taking in the past. Yeah, and these cocky, arrogant doctors weren't at the other hospital. They they didn't mind calling me. They didn't feel like, oh, I'm talking to this girl that has no medical training and I'm a doc. No, they were like, you know your mother. You know, I mean, they knew her cardiologist there. Um, he didn't have uh, privileges because they're actually an independent uh it's a group that actually was able to stay independent throughout all the BS, but um, they uh, he could do, like, procedures there. But anyway, they, they wouldn't mind calling me and asking me, you know, different things. But these people, no. Because she was also with a um, student, so you're a guinea pig, too. And I'm like, I do not want any students in here unless there's an attendant because they're just learning textbook stuff. I can tell you my mother especially is not textbook at all. And, of course, they ignored that. So I, I said, well, she's getting out, or I would have had her moved out of that unit. Um, but because of this clown that day, I said, I better stay till the night nurse comes in. And um, I did, and she comes in, and then they were kind of like, Oh, you've been here too long, of course, um, because I found an error, a couple of errors. And I said, okay, I just want to see the, you know, an evening nurse. She came in, Destiny, and I, my mom's looking at me, and she just goes, I just, I said, they're going to make me leave, Mom. So she goes, give me my BiPAP. She's like, I just want to sleep till I get the hell out of here. And, and can you make me an appointment for a pedicure tomorrow? I said, yes, we'll go get a pedicure. And so I said, because I always, you know, at night, I would, it was a little too much because I checked, I would wake up in the middle of the night and check on her. And But I would help her put her BiPAP on and make sure that everything was, you know, good. So I went to put it on and Destiny's like, no, I'll do it. And I said, well, just make sure that that oxygen is, you know, connected. In the, and she goes, oh, it is. And she went to grab it. I walked behind the bed where everything and I picked up the cannula. It wasn't connected. So the so, other, so the nurse is telling you that the oxygen set at the right um, setting. Yeah. It isn't at one point. And then you go to check, and it's not even plugged in. So your mom's getting no oxygen. Now, at this point, what are mm-hmm. they, why are they saying that they're keeping her there? Well, that's what's interesting, because for the UTI... And um, since she was in the hospital, I figured they were going to, you know, diurese her with the 
I forgot that one med. Um, but it was for the UTI to knock that out, I guess. But she was coming home the next day. Um, but here comes um, the residents. Oh, then one of the students had come in that day, too, and said, oh, is your mom, can I talk to you about, um, is your mom a DNR? I said, oh, no, she's not, especially not at this hospital. And she's like, well, she's good, so I can ask her. And I said, okay, her hearing aids, so I just ordered new ones, which they're coming in any day. And she's leaning over the bed going, do you want a DNR? And she's like, she goes, No. I've taught her everything, you know, they will kill you, especially if you're older, mm-hmm. especially at that hospital. And she's going, no. The nurse continues to, um, and it's a, she's a resident, I don't know what level, but she goes, and she's shaking her head going, no, no. <laughs> and, you know, she better say no. And um, the nurse goes, well, but if something happens, you're okay with, um, you know, chest compressions that'll probably break your ribs. Mm. I'm going, I'm going to knock this bitch out. I'm sorry. I'm like, and I'm, she's still saying no, of course. But they're trying to, like, make it sound awful. And I'm going, this is really messed up. But anyway, so the next day, I, so I left that night. Of course, I called um, before I went to bed. Called the next morning, and that was um, the element next. Six was, six was Sunday, seventh was Monday. Yes, the eighth was on Tuesday, and that's when I came in. The resident said, "Well, the good news is she's going to step down, so you're going home. You're on your way home tomorrow." And I was like, "Oh, thank you, God." And that was, but I had already made a complaint to patient relations because I said, "Okay, that was too many errors in one day." Um, patient relations called me and oh they actually sent the TAVR team in there because they want to push TAVRs on anybody because I think they want to get like a certain number of TAVR which are um, trans uh valve replacement which she was Dr. Sprague the cardiologist did not want to do it because of, she had pulmonary hypertension and he did a valvuloplasty instead um, but they want to they wanted to do towers on everyone um, just to get, you know, that number up because Morton Plant had done like 1,200 two years ago, and I think Tampa General just started. But um, so the tower team called me, and she's like, can I talk to the – I said, yeah, whatever. I just let her talk, and I said, um, I wanted to say, nobody in your hospital would ever touch my mother. That was nice. <laughs> um, so I went to, I think, yeah, so she's resonant. supposed to come home. She gets checked in on December the 6th, and she's supposed to be coming home on 10 December when you get a phone call at 4.30 in the morning, and what do they tell you? Well, that was, I'm sorry. It was actually uh, December 9th. Okay. Yeah, because the 8th, 8th was a Tuesday, and that was when the resident was like, you're, you're, well, the good news is you're getting out, and um, – so that was that was the first day that I felt good because I knew she was getting out, and um, I went home and I called the nurse um, before bed, like usual. I was there most of the. I would go like at three, and I'd stay until they kicked me out, <laughs> and they did about seven thirty. 
But then I called before bedtime, and the nurse was like, oh, well, we're not moving her because she was going to step down and then coming back, coming home. So she's like, we're not moving her to step down. She's just going to stay in this room just because it was, I think there was no beds or whatever. I'm like, that's fine with me because it's less mistakes if you're moving her. Um, And I said, can you, I said, I know I'm a pain in the ass, but you know how much I worry. Can you just please make sure when she goes to bed that the oxygen is on in her nose, the cannula is in her nose and not through the machine because she doesn't get enough oxygen. That's how she always... She's like, of course, Helena. I go, okay. So, and I felt pretty good because, you know, I wasn't worried. And uh, then she calls me back and she says, oh, we are moving her to step down because the bed opened up. And I'm like, oh, shit, you couldn't just leave her there. She's coming home tomorrow. But I still felt fine. I said, but I liked her there because she was right in front. And she goes, no, no, I'm making sure it's a bed that's right in front of the nurse's station. And so it'll be fine. So I'm like, okay. I actually was able to sleep that night. And that's when I got the 4 o'clock call saying that she coded. So I'm all happy that she's coming home. And I get the call that she coded. And um, this chaplain, so-called chaplain, um, she goes, oh, well, your mom coded, so you're allowed up here now. I'll meet you in the lobby. Just like that. At, at 4.30 Where? in the morning, you get a call saying your mom's coded. And yeah. I, I, that's just, wow. No, I can't make this up. That's so I, insensitive. I, I was, so, of course, I'm bawling my eyes out because I was so happy the night before. She was, you know. And um, I get there, and they let me in, and she just comes sauntering out of the elevator, and I said, This is what the nurse happened? that's coming out of the elevator. No, the chaplain. The chaplain okay. met me. Okay, I'm just making a point that it wasn't your mother coming out of the elevator. Oh, no, no, no. I get to the hospital, and it was a, a right. she said she had to meet me because, you know, there was, they had the COVID, COVID protocols. By the way, their COVID unit was in a separate building, not even the same building. But um, so she's like, um, I started, I was bawling, and I said, what the hell happened? I said, I just, she's supposed to come home, and I said, this hospital did, is always doing this, and they made so many mistakes. I was going off as I was crying. And then she puts me in a waiting room because she's like, oh, I don't know where your mom's going to be. I think they're bringing her back to the same room, so she said, wait here, and she, I'm sitting there bawling my eyes out. Nobody's around. I don't know what's going on. And a phlebotomist walks by me. And she goes, can I get you something? She goes, and I said, no. And I was, I was barely could even speak. And she's like, how about I just pray with you? And she prayed with me, which was really nice. So it was probably one of the nicest people there. Because I don't know what the chaplain's religious uh, affiliation was. I don't think she had any. But... Um, so then she, here comes the chaplain again. It might have been 10 to 15 minutes, and she just saunters, oh, your mom's better than I thought. She's awake and alert. And then I was like, wow. oh. <laughs> so she brings me in there. Of course, she's intubated, so she's hit. And she's looking at me like, oh, she's so mad. And then I couldn't remember because time was messed up. It was 4 5 in the morning. And this nurse comes up and she goes, she's going to be okay. She's gonna, 
she's going to be okay. They're going to take that out today. Well, that was the nurse that I spoke to at 1130 at night and said, could you please make sure, you know, that her oxygen was on when you transfer her. So she knows she messed up. Um, she was too, like, anxious to tell me, oh, she's going to be okay. No, she, you know, and I was like, how did this happen? And, you know, there's people going all around and, all of a sudden, this doctor I've never seen comes up walking up to me as I'm standing there trying to figure out what exactly occurred. Because then they gave her um, sedation, which that was fine because you need that with a tube down your throat because she was not happy. And um, so I said, what, you know, what's going on? So then I went to that nurse and I said, can I talk to the nurse that was on that unit? Oh, I don't think they'll let you do that. I said, really? Well, I want to know what happened. Nobody's telling me. And um, then this tall, bald-head nurse, I mean doctor, came up to me, never saw him in my life, doesn't introduce himself, just says, we don't know what happened, but it's going to happen again. So you need to sign a DNR. I said, no, no I said, I am not signing a DNR. And he goes, well, it's her valve, and it's going to happen again. I said, don't even come up to me and say DNR. So he walked away. I'm still running around. The nurse that she had, um, that, was that, oh, God, I can't remember his name, but I could picture him because then he was, I was still there at seven when the, incoming nurse came in, so he's standing behind me going over everything, and he said, well, she had a PEA um, because she, due to lack of oxygen. He said this. He, so they knew what happened, that she wasn't getting enough oxygen because that nurse didn't tell the new nurse what I said, that it has to be in her nose, the cannula has to be in her nose, not through the BiPAP machine. Um, so I heard, overheard him say that, um, and then I'm figuring, okay, you guys messed up. I already talked to patient relations. They're going to watch every move they make, you would think, right? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I was really, um, I was there all day and then to the night and, um, then I came the next day, and actually, I I actually have recordings of it, just so I can take notes. Um, so it's kind of interesting. But um, I think that night, she, the nurse, she asked me if I if I was going to stay the night. If I could, and I was like, I don't, I didn't think I could, because um, they were always kicking me out. But um, she was weaned off of the um, intubation, I think. Wait, in two days, it was like a day and a half, really. She was doing physical therapy. Um, I was there. Well, the physical therapist was there. She was up and about. And then um, I'm going, what? why isn't she coming home now? And then she started getting, so I think it was probably, that was a 10th, 11th, 12th. Yeah. And the 13th, um, then she started to slow down a little. I'm like, what's going on? And she looked like she didn't feel good. So I asked for patient relations. Um, somebody came to the room. 
And I said, well, I said, I talked to patient relations the day before this little accident happened. Oh, I'm sorry, let me go back. That day after the the one doctor that never saw said, you need to find a DNR, um, palliative care comes for a little team. And they want to talk to me. And I said, don't even, don't even start. I said, 2016, this is exactly what you people did. Three of you, the team, wasn't you the same people, um, I said, you want to push palliative and hospice on everyone? I said, I want my mother home for Christmas. I don't want to sign a DNR. She doesn't want to sign a DNR. I said, Does right. she have 20 years left? I said, I doubt it, but she's going to be home for Christmas. Walked out of the room, and um, then and they kept her, like, she was doing physical therapy, so I was just thinking that she was there for physical therapy. Then, unlike the 14, she looked swollen. And I said something to her nurse, and I think that was Brandy, who actually did ECMO for my friend that died there the year before, but, um, oh, in June. And I said, why does she look a little bit puffy? And she's like, oh, it's probably because of IV. And I said, but she wouldn't even have an IV in this arm. I said, something, what's going on? Oh, and, they, and when I came in, her oxygen was standing at 99. I said, her oxygen cannot be over 96. I had to tell every nurse I, to a point that I put a not greater than 96 on her monitor. How embarrassing is that? This is in a NICU unit. And now, is she still too. in the is she still in the residence wing, or had they moved her at this point into a regular wing with bona fide doctors? Oh, thank you for reminding me because the day that that happened too, I said to the smart ass nurse that over the guy that was telling the incoming nurse that she was deprived of oxygen. That's why she had a PEA. Um, I said, listen, I said, I don't want any residents in here without an attending. And he's shaking his head, like, in defiance. And he's like, not the way it works. I said, oh, really? I said, then I want her in the other uh, unit without the students. And so I asked them, patient relations, and they're like, oh, okay. And I already had a pulmonologist picked out that is actually good in Tampa, and they attend in that unit. So the nurses were like, you got to call the doctor. So I called doc- their, that doctor's office, and they're like, what? They're like, no, the nurse should be able to do that. They're fine taking her as a patient. The nurse needs to do that. I went to the nurse. This is going back and forth, and um, I'm, I'm going, like, what, what's going on, you know, because you don't know what to do. That was already scary, and right. then, um, so that day, the four, that was the 14th. Interestingly enough, that just made me remember, because um, I kept trying every day, and I didn't like the way she looked, and then she didn't want to do physical therapy. I'm like, what is going on? And that's, um, so that Saturday, I was really worried, and I'm thinking, I, I don't know what's happening, and nobody's calling me, where if she was over at Morton Plant, they'd call me every, twice a day, three times a day, 
tell me what was going on. I didn't even have to call. And um, so Saturday I was um, there. This would have been sixteenth maybe now. Um, and she, my friend and her alternate POA called a couple to talk to the charge nurse and said she, you know, talked to them about what happened to her in 2016 and she was worried about me as well as my mother. And um, all of a sudden this this guy comes walking towards me, nasty little man with his scowl on his face. And he's like, um, I thought he was going to come tell me, you know, some things about my complaints because nobody's gotten back to me about any complaints yet. And he just looks at me and goes, if your friend Jody calls here again, I'm going to have to call security. There's only one point of contact, and it's you. So if she calls, I'm calling security. I was speechless. I'm, I'm like, I'm like, look, I, I was really speechless. And I was like, I didn't say a word. And I was in the recliner, and I was staring at him. So he walks away, and then a couple hours later, we were just watching TV, and my mom was, I was dozing off, too. It dawned on me. I'm going, what the hell? And the charge nurse was really nice, Jason. And um, so I went down to find him. And I said, hey, Jason, can I talk to you? And I said, he's like, oh, come in. He's like, yeah. And I said, that troll? Who is that troll that came to my mom's room? And he started busting out laughing. He goes, oh, that's Kevin Castle. He's a nurse manager. He said, well, I was just thinking because he told me he was going to call security on my friend. St. Pete Beach in a condo. Is security going to go to the condo and get her? Right. He just, started laughing. he just started laughing. He goes, no, I think he was just trying to explain that you're the con-. I said, no, well, no, there's only one visitor allowed, and you can't change days. But she wasn't coming in. She was calling. You're not allowed to call to see if someone's okay? That didn't make sense either, but... So, um, no, members of the family can call, and she was the alternate POA, so she should have been able to call to just find out because, you yeah. know, she, you, you might have been working or she couldn't get a hold of you or you didn't have your cell phone turned on because you're trying to take care of your mom. Yeah, it, and I mean, that was ridiculous. This, this guy Absolutely. ended up being a big jerk, but um, then he, um, oh, that was the weekend, I'm sorry, so... I don't remember if that was before. No, that was after. That was before the pulmonologist finally. They actually let that pulmonology group come in to her, that unit. Um, but that wasn't until the 16th. And um, they came to see her, and they said, her lungs have not changed in years. It's her valve. And I said, we know it's her valve. That's why I said a valvuloplasty. They only last for 18 months. But um, so he said that, you know, there's nothing that we can do to help her. Everything that she's done hasn't progressed. Her lungs have looked the same for four years, which is amazing. But um, so it was just her valve. But that's why she took Bumex and Metoprolol, and that controlled it. So um she was getting worse, and then the 18th, the other uh, Dr. Rose was from the same group. He's like, he goes, I looked at everything, and he goes, I don't understand. So I checked her BNP, and it's 3,000. I screamed. 
so loud. I was like, and the, the nurse was in there, and this other uh, palliative care went on. Someone from the palliative care team was there, too. And I couldn't hold, I, I was like, how is that even possible? And I got to give it to this doctor because he was so calm. <laughs> He's just like, well, I'm going to order LASIK right away. He didn't even flinch because I was freaking out. And um, when he left, I said to the nurse, Crystal, she was a nice one. I said, how the hell could her B&P go from 1100 to 3000 She's like, I said, what? I said, when did they check it last? Why did a pulmonary? And she's like, I don't know. I don't know. She's like, let me look in the... I said, please look in there and see when her B&P was checked. And she's looking, and she was really visibly upset, and um, she kept looking, and she's like... Oh, my God. She goes, they haven't checked it since she came in through the ER. And she goes, Okay, let me, ste- are- let, me, let me step you back a second. Um, for those who don't know, because I didn't, um, the BNT measures the amount of fluid that is around the heart. And as you can imagine, if you have a lot of fluid around your heart, you can actually drown from that if it doesn't get away from your heart. So... The LASIK is for doing that. When they take that, it's a diuretic, and it removes, you pee a lot, but it removes the fluid from yeah. around the heart. So that's what Lisa's talking about. Yeah. Okay, go um, ahead, Lisa. But even worse than that, well, I guess it's not worse. She's like, cardiology signed off on her on December 14th. I was like, what? I said, she's here for CHF, why, why would cardiology... Why wouldn't that be checked daily? Why would a cardiologist... But you're in the hospital for congestive heart failure. That's what I'm saying. Right, and I, right. I exactly. Said, and Crystal kept... I mean, she was upset. She was nice, and she was like, I don't know. She goes, I don't know. I don't know. She kept saying, I don't know. She was really upset, and I said... This is unbelievable. I'm like, I cannot. And then, um, so that night they made me go home. That was 18th. That was a Friday. And um, so I did not want to leave. And I was, like, I couldn't even sit still. So I called. I was calling her nurse. And um, she's like, I said, can I please stay with my mother? Can I spend the night with her? Um, she's scared because um, she was scared. And um they wouldn't even give her a regular dose of Xanax. Can you believe that? Which was 0.5 at night. So at this more point, do you even, do you at this point, because I know you got the medical records, but do you know what they're, what drugs are giving her? Had they stopped giving her her regular medication yeah. for congestive heart failure? And yeah. so they're not giving her... Anything except for the BiPAP, nope. which they have the wrong concentration on it. But that's pretty yep. much all they're doing for her at this time. Yeah. So Right. Okay. Is she sitting up? She's conscious. She's sitting up. She's oh, eating. Yeah. She's talking. She's saying, get yeah. me out of here. And she's frustrated and she wants to leave. She was declining because she didn't feel that great because mm-hmm. – I mean, but that's like I said. I, but she got you, weighed every I morning. I mean, this is now, this is now the 18th of December, and let's let's say yeah. that 
that there was not, you know, her heart valve is what's causing the issue. She has congestive heart failure. But they've stopped Mm -hmm. giving her the medication that is somewhat controlling it, it. certainly making it better. It's treating it. And they've stopped giving her that. And you're asking, begging them on the 18th of December, she wants to be home for Christmas. So even if you would say that, okay, well, if we don't treat her and we send her home, you know, she's going to die in a week or she's going to die in two weeks. Okay, but let her come home for Christmas. Let her be at her home. But it sounds like there were so many errors made in how their treatment was of her. So, and and I know you're going to get to that, you know, later. And that's why they did it. I'm just appalled by listening to this that there were so many things that were done wrong at your mother's expense. Yeah, in the middle of it, too. You're just freaking out because I'm, like, in shock going, I'm sitting here. How much more could I advocate for her? In 2016, I didn't leave her side, but I couldn't because they kicked me out this time because they used the Mm -hmm. COVID cold or whatever it is. Which, by the way... um, she let me go back to she lives in florida and at that time uh governor DeSantis had lifted those draconian rules that she was in florida she could have gone in and stayed with her mom and spent the night with her mom on several occasions which again she's going to get to that in a minute but they prevented her from staying with her mom yeah, see, 2016, I would only come home to feed my cats because I could work anywhere, <laughs> and I would work at the hospital, and I wouldn't leave her side. I spent mm-hmm. the night there, um, but that's what they were doing this time. So, um, and then uh, interestingly enough, so I called, and I'm like, you know, he said late. So that night, I called, and she's not a nice nurse, and she's like, oh, she's like, well, you can ask the chaplain. Here we go with the chaplains again. So I called the chaplain, and he's like, huh? I said, well, my mom's nurse said to ask you if I could spend the night. And he goes, what? He goes, no, you have to ask her. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. I'm like, are you? I could not believe it. I called her back. She says, no. And I'm going, I cannot even deal with this. I didn't know what to do. I'm calling Jody. I, we, we didn't know what to do. So I get there the next day as soon as I could. Um, I'm begging everyone again. They let me stay till about 8 at night, and I was really worried I went home. So I said maybe she should be on Bumex um, instead of the Lasix because she wasn't diuresing. Well, she's never gotten to 3,000. That's insane because um, we, we took such good care of her as far as monitoring of everything. And... Um, so that night, and I told I called when they took me out because I was really worried. And I, the nurse, same nurse from that, the night before, she goes, "Well, you can call Doctor Alvarez." I said, "She goes, he's not here. That's the outside group. First of all, they're pulmonologists. Well, doesn't have a cardiologist." And she goes, "You can page him." So I was like really? Okay, do you have his number? She gave me his number. I paged him. He called me back and I started talking, telling him, you know, what I thought. 
and then he's talking to me like, you know, I'm a nurse because I, you know, knew that a little bit what I was talking about. And he goes, wait a minute. He goes, the nurse told you to page me? And I said, yeah, she did. And he goes, I'm calling her right now. He hung up. He was pissed. That's their job. She was in the hospital. Right. So um, then the next day I came in, and Crystal was the nice one with her nurse again. And I said, did she get Bumex now, Drip? And she's like, oh, well, no, the pharmacy ran out of it. I At a hospital. I was like, oh, yeah. I went berserk, and I said, I will get it. She can't be without it. Her B&P was already 3000 I said, I'm going to go to St. Joe's. Because my friends work at St. Joe's, and I bet you they can get me being Bumex. Um, I was going crazy. All of a sudden, she comes back, and she's like, oh, they have the Bumex. Does that make sense to anybody? Because I'm like, No, they just, they didn't want to do, they didn't want to go the extra mile. They were giving her LASIK. They figured that's what she needed, and they did not appreciate you telling them that, Oh, this is my mom, and Bumex works really good on her. We've been using that. One drug sometimes works better for someone else than another one does, and that is what people should be listening to that because if something works better for you, why should you be forced to take something else? Well, and the doctors agree, too. Like I said before, the the ones that aren't arrogant assholes, they're like, they want to talk to you because you even though I don't have any medical degrees or training, I'm the one with her and I'm the one that talks to her cardiologist and knows what works. But it's just funny to me that I was literally going to call people at St. Joe's. That would be really embarrassing for Tampa General, but um, that they somehow found some in the pharmacy at that point. Right. Who knows if they really gave it to her, though. Um, But then... uh, then she finally, because I, I went to talk to the church nurse again, I said, I've had it. I said, and if that little, tro- I, <laughs> she's got to get out of here. And that little troll, he better not come near me, nurse manager. Um, she was laughing, so I don't think they liked the troll. But um, so they got her to move um, to the other unit that night. But they still wouldn't let me spend the night. So I got there as soon as I could. And... First thing I said was the nurse. I said, hot. It was very nice. Um, I said, what medications did my mom get today? She goes, none. She can't swallow. I said, what? I said, mom, you can't swallow? I said, is any doctor? She goes, nobody's talking to me. Nobody's telling me anything. What's going on? And I said, I don't know. I'm trying to find out. So... Then I was being sneaky, not sneaky, but there's a different nurse manager. So I said, let me get the nurse. I was trying to, you know, see what they would tell me. So a nurse manager came in, and I said, have they checked her BNP since this is the 20th, Dr. Uh, Roses did? And she's like, oh, she's looking through the um, computer, and she's going. And I'm like, oh, God, what, why is it taking this long? And she's like, Oh, I don't see. Well, no, they check that every day. And I said, her BNP? I said, no, because they hadn't checked it from the 5th to the 18th. 
And she's like, oh, I thought you were saying something else that had to do with kidney or liver. And then I said, well, I don't know what's going on with her. I don't know why. She looks worse besides the fluid overload. And I said, but when somebody said about fentanyl, she goes, oh, no. Never give her fentanyl. I said, well, she wouldn't take fentanyl. I said, why would anybody say that? And she said, oh, no, 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 that would suppress her breathing. So she left, and here comes Dr. Death, I call him, palliative asshole. And he comes in, and he's like, you know, I'm going to give her a little fentanyl. I said, no, you're not. I said, for what? She's not in pain. I said, Mom, are you in pain? She's like, I'm not in pain. And I said, and the nurse manager that was just in here said, but that would suppress her breathing. Why would you get... He got so angry, he couldn't, he couldn't hide it. He went, she had no right to tell you that. Well, yes, she did. So a nurse that is being honest about it, it shouldn't have told the patient's family that. Yeah. And for those who don't know, we're not, you know, diving into drugs tonight, but fentanyl is 100 times stronger than morphine and 50 times stronger than heroin. And Lisa's mom, Julie, was opioid naive, meaning that she had not been taking pain pills or medication in the past, and she was not in pain. And this doctor wants to give her fentanyl, Mm -hmm. 100 times stronger than morphine. Yeah. And what does that tell you? I mean, that to me Mm -hmm. is... Why would you do that if his entire intent was not to suppress her breathing and to hasten her death? She had been here. This is now the 20th of December, and she checked in on the 6th of December as a UTI. And this Mm -hmm. entire time, Lisa's been trying to get her home, and Julie wants to go home. Yep. And And, um, they're refusing to check her out. I I just want to make that clear. Yeah, I know okay. it's intensive, but there's so many details, and I have so it's sort of trying to get it in the hour that we have. But um, so I think they were they were really trying to push her into hospice, and I said, don't. If anybody says that word, do not say that word around me. So they agreed to let Jody come up, thinking they could maybe. Well, she's she's very outspoken. And they thought wrong. And I had gone to the bathroom, and as I'm coming back, I see Jody standing there talking to Dr. Seth. And I'm walking towards him. He walked away. She turned around. Her eyes were popping out of her head. She's like, that son of a bitch just tried to make me talk you into signing a DNR for your mother. I said, yeah. She goes, you got to get her out. we got to get her out of here. I said, I know. And I don't know how because... You know, she, she got worse because, you know, we were trying. So he was trying to think of ways to get her um, out. So that's another thing that I hope is investigated because we only have one hospice in Hillsborough County, and it's Life Path Hospice, who, incidentally, had a wing at Tampa General in 2018, and they were advertising it and touting it and all this and then I don't know what happened to it. But um, we still only have life path hospice in um, Tampa, in Hillsborough County. And um, the doctor talks like, well, if you want to spend the night, can we go quid pro quo 
if you want to spend the night, we do have two palliative suites, but she can't have her BiPAP in there. I'm like, that, what? So I, I, talk, I called a doctor friend of mine, um, and she goes, that doesn't make sense. A BiPAP is a comfort measure, even if you put her in hospice. And I said, yeah. Well, it's not a comfort measure. (laughs) I mean, it's it's a life-sustaining measure so that you can breathe. And whether or not somebody has to have that 24-7 or they have to have it just at nighttime or when they take naps, it is breathing. You would take away someone's breathing? Yeah. Yeah. That was... I mean, he should have known that I was semi-intelligent at that point, and he thought I was going to say, oh, yeah, okay, let me go in the palliative suite and let my mom suffer and suffocate. Right. No. No. So I was like, oh, my God. I'm like going, I am so – so then my doctor friend finally said, you need to call risk management. This is ridiculous. Um, And I was like, okay, so – I did call risk management. Um, she knew nothing about it, but um, they didn't let me spend the night again that night. And then um, this doctor in that unit came, and I said, well, is she getting her BMX now? And he's like, well, I said, you know, her BMP is so high. And he's like, let me make sure they ordered some. They kicked me out again. They kicked me out earlier this time. It was like five. And um, so I called the charge nurse, and I said, did my mom get VMX tonight? She's like, oh, let me check. It was like an hour and a half later. No, I don't think it was ordered yet. I'm like, well, okay, no, it's supposed to have been ordered an hour and a half ago. They were just saying they were doing things and they weren't, that they were not doing. So I came in the next day, and um, she yelled at me and said, I'm starving and I'm thirsty and I want to get out of this bed. Please let me sit up. So I saw the respiratory therapist, and he was a nice guy, but I think he needed his job. And he said, um, I said, she wants to sit in the recliner. I don't understand. Can she sit in the recliner? And he goes, I don't think they're going to let her. I said, why? He goes, "I, I don't know. They're not, he goes, they probably won't let, there was no medical reason she couldn't sit in the recliner. Absolutely. Well, even if there was a medical reason, if someone is in there and the way that they're treating her, because they're not letting her go, the way that they're treating her is like she's going to die any day. If she wants to sit up in the chair, if she wants to stand on her head, why would you not let her do what she wants to do? Uh, mainly, why would you not let this lady go home and be with her daughter for as long as she has? Well, I could tell you why. Because a, a prominent lawyer did tell me when I spoke to him, because, you know, Florida is a free kill state. She doesn't have a spouse living or any children under 25. He, he flat out told me, and he's actually a, a well-known lawyer in the area, he said, I'm not going to lie to you. If your mother lived because she was deprived of oxygen, they would have been sued. They wanted her to die. He told me that. Wow. I mean, it sounds like they made many, many errors in your mother's care the whole time. 
Yep. Well, I think it was purposely, though, because you can't tell me that five different nurses in a MICU um, don't know that the oxygen should never be at 99 or 100% per saturation. There's not that many stupid uh, nurses in in that unit. Well, uh, it's not plugged in. Well, that too. I mean, seriously, how many people don't look at their equipment to make sure that it's plugged in? Oh, my God. I do it at home. And, I mean, these are... These are some of the things that um, Michelle Dewars talks about in her book, Killing for Profit, because it's the things like that that somebody, whether it's a hospice nurse or it's a hospital nurse, there are certain protocols, certain things that should be checked and monitored that are supposed to be done on a consistent basis, and they weren't doing that with your mom. So now we get to um, the 23rd of December, and your mom is still alert, and she wants to go. Yes, and she was. That's when she wanted food. So I got her. She's hungry. She said, "I." She said, "They are torturing me." Those were exact words. She said, "Please, they're torturing me here. Get me out." And the nurse, oh, the patient relations or whatever I call it, patient prevention team. Um, The one I talked to on December 8th comes by the room, and I'm I'm livid because I'm giving her orange juice. She was, like, so thirsty and gave her strawberry and sure. And um, so I called the nurse, and and I said, look, she's swallowing. See how good she's swallowing? Imagine that. Yeah. And she shrugs her shoulder like she was a bitch. She shrugs her shoulder. She goes, well, she could aspirate. I said, we could all aspirate at any time. She was walking away. So patient prevention, Joanna comes. She's like, can I talk to you? And I said, no, not now, because my mom's starving, and I want to make sure she's eating and drinking. So she got the nurse, because they're supposed to have one-on-one. She's telling me they have, she's one-on-one care right now. And she gets the nurse, and she says, can you take over for Lisa while I talk to her? So she goes in there. I might have talked to Joanne because I didn't talk to her, but I didn't let her talk. I said, you're coming back to me on December 23rd. And I went to work and just went through everything. And I said, and my mom's sitting there. She wants to sit up. She's starving. She's telling me she's starving. She's thirsty. She just wanted orange juice. And your people are telling me she can't swallow. I said, this is ridiculous. Well, Jody, in the meantime, was saying, she's thinking of things that she said, well, we, you know, I'm going to tell them that we're, she's like, I'll call Suncoast Hospice. That's Pinellas. This is interesting. Every time I tell the story, I figure out more things that they were doing. Um, so Jody mentioned that to them. And then they're like, oh, well, no, she can go. She's going to, we can send her home with hospice. They, they are into who. There's some anti-kickback shit going on there with LifePath. I can tell you that because they did not want her. So they're telling me she could come home now. So I said she can come. She could come home. I said I just want. I said I don't know what you people are doing. She's getting worse. This is the patient prevention. I said I just want to stay with my mother. I said it's the 23rd now, and so we went back her room, so it might have been eight-minute conversation, and um, maybe not, 
And I said, can you please just get permission for me to spend the night? I just want to be with my mom. And I go in the room, and my mom's banging on her thing, and she's pissed. There's no nurse that was supposed to take over for the when I was feeding her and giving her orange juice. In barely eight minutes. She looks at me and she goes, I'm hungry. I'm like, so I got her orange fur and she's like, and I want orange juice. I give her orange juice. And the patient prevention lady comes in. She goes, the chaplain said you can't spend the night. She's not actively dying. And you've been here too long. It's time to go. I said, well, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to leave until my mom's done eating and drinking because she said she's being tortured. And um, so I continued. I turned to my mom. And the next thing I know, there's a security guard in the door. And I was like, my poor mother was so upset. I mean, do you know how yeah. bad that upset my mother? Oh, absolutely. She was, Yeah. So the respiratory therapist came in, and he was trying to just ask me BS questions so I didn't have to leave, which was nice of him. And then he exhausted everything he could ask me. He was just asking ridiculous things. Um, Are you feeding her during this time? Yeah, because he, okay. he was doing it so I could stay. Gotcha. And, uh, but then uh, the nurse came in, and she but it's a the security guard did not say anything to me, but I started getting nervous just because I'm like, and then I could see that it made my mother nervous. Um, so I was like, okay. I said, Mom, they're taking me out. She was so upset; it, it broke my heart. And um, mm-hmm. I went, so I walked out the door, and I went to the right because I wanted to go to the bathroom. And the security guard goes, uh, No, you're coming this way. And I said, I have to go to the bathroom. So I went to the bathroom. When I came out, I said. They're killing my mother. They're starving her. They and I said, You don't understand and he was really nice to me and he walked downstairs with me and um so like I went home and I get a call from the doctor, uh, the critical care doctor in that unit, um, and he goes, Your mother's dying. It was at five twenty seven to be exact. And I said, We're all dying. I said, But because I was just so upset, and I was at my friends, and then I said, well, I just asked Joanna Singleton if I could spend the night, and she said she wasn't dying, so I'm so confused. So I typed up an email to her right away, and I said, why am I being treated differently? My mother, you know, you said she wasn't, Dr. Um, forget his name now, said he was Ryan, the first name I know about, but um, said she was dying. And Governor DeSantis signed an emergency order September 20th, uh, September 1st, 2020, three months ago, that said that caretakers, and especially if someone's close to end of life, are allowed to be with their loved ones 24-7. She never answered me, of course. I had called with Samson at this point. And she was looking into it. That risk manager is no longer there. So she actually sounded sympathetic, and I don't believe that she was on board with what they do there. So I think she might have quit. But, um, you know, she had to start from the beginning. She knew nothing. Um, So that was the 23rd. So they're still telling me that she could come home on the 24th. 
So I spent all morning um, call, looking for private. Oh, I'm sorry. When I was in the room, that's the part that I skipped over too. I was so mad when um, I said, and the chaplain was in, another chaplain was in there, and I said, listen, if you guys don't let me spend the night, I will hire a private. I said, I don't have money. I'm not rich, but I will do anything for my mother. I will kill for her. Her eyes popped out of her head. (laughs) She was like, I said, I would like to hire a private duty nurse to stay with her. No, you can't. That's what they told me. Why? You're not taking good enough care of her. They wouldn't let me. So um, then on the 24th, uh, I was, well, I'd been on the phone all morning looking for private nurses because they said she was able to come home. Um, but they, oh, okay, after afternoon the 23rd, uh, the respiratory therapist did say, I want to change out this cannula. He goes, how far do you live? I'm going, 0.5, it's literally 0.5 miles. And I said, but why? And he says, I just want to make sure she's going to make it home. And I was like, what? I, I'm going, so they don't think she'll make it home in an ambulance or 25-mile ride, no, please, and they don't believe no, that she will make it home now. Half a mile. 0.5 miles. Oh, I thought I you said 25. No. 0.5. You live one half of a mile from there, and they they're, now they're telling you she's not going to make it one half of a no. mile to make it home? Not but you can't doctor. spend the night because she's not actively dying. But it was the respiratory therapist, that's why. He was telling things that he wasn't supposed to tell me. You see what I'm saying? But he needed his job. He was trying to help me. He goes, I don't want something to happen to your mother. I literally live around the corner. I have to see that damn place every day that I leave my house. Um, it's awful. Yeah. Point five miles, a half a mile. Well, it sounds like that there was a good respiratory therapist there that was trying he to was. help you instead of he like was. the other people that were just trying to prevent you from being around so they could just do whatever they wanted to do. He was. But, yeah. he, you know, he was really trying right. to help me a lot. And I'm like going, I don't understand, and I couldn't, like, say Gary that was his name told me that she couldn't even make it home so I'm like I'm really confused I'm not sleeping and I'm like so the morning of the 24th I called so I wasn't still wasn't allowed in until 1130 and I um she had this guy nurse he's like oh I gave her two things of insured this morning and I was like oh my god and then I thought to myself he doesn't sound sincere I knew he was lying I knew it um, for some weird reason, and I'm talking all these nurse, nurses trying to get this Christmas Eve. So I called back and I said, you know, I'm trying to find this nurse. And he goes, um, the doctor tried to call you, but you're not answering your phone. Naughty like that. I was like, I've been on the phone and nobody's called me because I would jump if I saw a number that called. So I rushed up there when I could and she looked really bad. So I didn't know until I got the medical record the very day that I told Dr. Tuck, no fentanyl. Mom, do you want fentanyl right in front of him? Are you in pain, Mom? Nope. No fentanyl. They had to given her fentanyl and Ativan together. 
that's why she kept declining. And this was all, this is after you have specifically said no to the drugs, Men- and they have refused to it. give her her general medication, yep. but yet they're giving her fentanyl, and you find out later Ativan and Versed. And then the Versed killed me. I fell out because I, I saw that because I looked through some of the things like this. That was obviously the last few days, and. Um, when I found it, I told my friend who's a nurse and ethicist, and that she went, what? She goes, they mm-hmm. really were trying to kill her. Well, they did. She said that. Not they were trying. They did it. They did. I know. They did it. Said, yeah, I know. And um, So you yeah, asked so. if you can spend the night on the 24th with your mom because now they have told you, you've been told by this one doctor that she is actively dying. So you asked to spend the night with her on Christmas Eve. Yes. And what happens? Mm-hmm. Um, this sweet lady, I never figured out who she was. She was so bawling, of course, because my mom looked awful. And I was like, Mom, you're coming home. No, they told me they told me she could come home. Now since they told me she and I'm so confused. Um, but they're like, but she can only come home if you sign her into hospice, and we're going to get all these. And I'm like, Mom, you're coming home, and aren't you happy? And she's like, yeah. I said, you got um, Billy's waiting for you, and Jackson's in your bed. And that's my cat. And um, I'm like, they're, she was all happy. And they're, like, telling me that, oh, yeah, they're getting, but she has to be on hospice. But at this point, I'm like, I just, it's Christmas Eve. So I'm bawling, and this lady's like, oh, she's like, you're just fine. And I said, but why did they do this to me? I've been trying to just be with my mother. Why are they waiting? So, like, why did they do this to me? And I'm trying to, you know. And she's like, I know. And I, she really didn't say much, except I, I could picture her face and everything. And um, so I told my mom she can come home. She's happy. I'm not. I'm happy, but not not happy with her condition. Um, and then... Um, Angela, who's from Life Path Hospice, came, and she's like, well, yeah, she's like, I'm, you just have to sign this, and I said, uh, she goes, oh, no, Angela came, and this was not the same one that was all sweet, and she's like, oh, we don't have anybody that could come to the house to set her up. It's Christmas Eve. Yep. Tough. So she made me get my mom all excited, made me, I'm telling her she could see her dog and the cat. And um, I said, oh, I said, well, I can spend the night, though, right? And she's like, well, I just have to get approved by the doctor. I said, what? I said, are you, I, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I did not go. And she goes, no, no, hold on, it's okay. She goes, I'll be right back. And she left. And then she came back and she goes, it's approved. You can spend the night. So I went to my mom and I said, Mom, you can't come home today, but I can spend the night. So I'm just, she's obviously very out of it because of what she's on. And um, I'm just laying by, holding her hand by her bed, crying. And the smart-ass nurse comes in and he goes, oh, it was about 2 o'clock, 2.30. He goes, you can't stay the night. They said you could only stay till 6.30. And I'm bawling, and I'm like, why? I said, they said if I admitted to hospice, and he's like, well, the nurse manager is going to come talk to you. 
I'm bawling now really bad. And the nurse manager comes, and it's the one that was going to send security to St. Pete Beach. And I'm bawling. And he's like, yeah, you were just approved state of 630. And I said, well, I said, I don't understand. They told me this morning, first she was coming home. And I'm like, I'm just begging you. I said, that's my mother. I mean, I was hysterically crying. And he had the most dead eyes just staring at me. And I said, my father died the day after Christmas when I was two months old. I said, please do not take my mother away from me. Just let me stay with her. And he looked at me and he goes, you can stay till 630. I thought I was, I wow. still think I'm in a night. And so I said, okay, but I don't have, she's my only family. I said, I have a lot of friends, but it's Christmas Eve. I can't, I don't want to go bust up for Christmas Eve. They have children, you know. Well, and and you I don't do want to leave friends. your mom. You don't want to leave, leave your mom, mom on Christmas Eve. You know, what if she doesn't make it? You you don't know at this point because you don't know what they're doing to her and what they're giving her. And mm-hmm. they have told you, if you sign her up for hospice, we will let yep. you spend the night. And this is part of that I was talking about in that book, Killing for Profit, this is part of that smoke and mirrors. They tell yep. you anything that they that they think you need to hear in order to sign you up because something you said earlier about it being profit, they do have quotas. There is a quota system, and they oh, do yeah. get paid extra money. So oh. what oh, you're saying is absolutely true. Yep. General That's horrible. That's the highest level, of course. They said she was on Gip, Gip my ass. There was nobody doing anything except giving her fentanyl. Right. <laughs> and she's not getting her medication. She's not getting insurance. Yeah. So you have to leave, and they don't let you back in until 11 o'clock the next day. I'm, I'm well, speeding first, us along because we're almost out of time. I know, but I have to tell okay. you when I said that about the friends, even though, yeah, you're right, I was just trying to think of anything. He goes, why don't you call your friend Jody?" Like being an asshole, and she because she's very domineering, and she was an asshole to them, which is fine. She should have been, um, but that's what he said to me. Somebody that's bawling their eyes out while their mom's dying. Yeah. So mm-hmm. then um, I was. Jody did come rescue me, and he stayed with me, and I went back as soon as I could, and um, I was talking to Fun Coast, and she's like, "Honey," she goes, "As much as I want your mother." You know, I would want your mother here. She's like, I think I'm going to call them and see what's going on with her. And I said, she called me back and she said, I do not want your mother dying in, a, in an ambulance on Christmas Eve. So she knew it. And when I got to the hospital, they wasted more time because here comes a charge nurse, Kathleen. And I said, oh, before I left, I did tell that nurse. Because I kept saying, where's somebody from LifePath? Where's, I need to talk to somebody from hospice. There, nobody's here. Nobody's here. When I left at 630, I said, you better take her off of hospice, disenroll her, and you're allowed to do that verbally. I said, yes. and she is not a DNR. You better make sure she's not a DNR. And he goes, well, somebody from LifePath is going to call you, and so is a critical care doctor. Um, I called the hospice as soon as I got to the garage. Um, while I was waiting for Jody, and I was crying, and they're like, they they knew nothing about my mother. They said, I'll have someone call you back, because I was crying, and I was like, they said I could spend the night, and 
when I calm down, I call back again. Nobody called me back. Called back at 9.30. This nice lady, Sharon, talked to me. She still didn't know anything. And I was so, so scared. Yeah, yeah. You, you're, you got, we got three minutes. So oh, you are actually, you go to your mom at 11 o'clock, and you're actually with her on Christmas Day when she yes. passes. Yes. But they made, I went back to her room, and she it was 10 minutes, and they left me alone, didn't know what to expect. A doctor came in, like, he told me the weather. I think he was a doctor. I don't know. And he goes, your mom's dying. I was just, I mean, it's so, it is so cool, the whole Mm -hmm. process that you went through. So afterwards, and and I don't mean to rush, but afterwards you had contacted um, Keypro, which is worthless. I can attest to that. They were worthless. They don't investigate. They say that, but they don't. And you are not, um, they did find fault with nutritional because they had not been feeding her. Yes, but they didn't respond to the medication, the fact that she was given the fentanyl, Ativan, and Versa. No, they responded to other ones, and, um, but the right. floor department. Well, they sent, you a, they sent you a publication yeah. on fentanyl not being dangerous, which is ridiculous because it is. Well, you're the, intubated. She wasn't intubated. <laughs> it didn't even have anything so. to do with my complaint. So, yeah. So, um, and you've talked to attorneys to try to get some justice on this. Um, would you like to quickly go over your conversation yesterday, the phone call you received, or do you want to hold off on that? No, that's, I mean, that's fine because an investigator did call me, and which is unusual because this wasn't just one of your regular state workers, and she was sympathetic. Don't know if she was an actor. Some people can be, you know, but she really sounded sincere. And it's somebody that is in higher up in the Department of Health that is right. It's a medical but malpractice a person who called. Yeah. But it's so, a year me badgering and then losing stuff and jerking me around. But right. I didn't stop. So, and I, and I am so sorry for what happened to your mom. And it, it makes it worse, the fact that it was Christmas Day. So... I appreciate you coming on tonight and telling our listeners about your story. And we will be back on the 9th of February with Michelle Young-Dewers, who wrote the book Killing for Profit, The Dark Side of Hospice, and she will explain some of these things that tonight we've heard. So good night, everybody, and thank you for joining in. Good night. Thank you. Okay. Good night, Lisa. Bye. Good night.